Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Kari Wagner-Peck will join us to discuss Not Always Happy. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. the Grok Science Show. Well, while most people meet their child for the first time in the delivery room, some parents have to meet their child in the reception area of an administrative building. Well, in the new book, Not Always Happy, An Unusual Parenting Journey, the author, Ms. Kari Wagner-Peck, takes a humorous and sharp chronicled look at adopting and raising a son with Down syndrome from the main foster care system. Ms. Kari Wagner-Peck is author and memoir. Again, it's called Not Always Happy. And Ms. Wagner-Peck, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Well, it's certainly our pleasure. Certainly an interesting uh, memoir you've written here. You talk about uh, your experiences with your adopted son who had Down syndrome. Tell us a little about your story. Uh, How how did you come about adopting your son? Well, my husband and I um, wanted to become parents, and we rather quickly put off the idea of fertility counseling. And then we said international adoption, but we found we couldn't actually afford that. Um, and so we decided on foster care, um, adopting through the foster care system, because, primarily because it's free. And it, it just ended up being a terrific path for us. I mean, we did really find <laughs> our son there, who is meant to be our son, I believe. Well, we actually said we didn't want, <laughs> we didn't want a child with a disability and our foster care worker left a voicemail saying she met this great boy who was two years old. He was in a therapeutic foster home and he had Down syndrome. And our, my husband and I shared this moment of peace and clarity about that, that we, it didn't bother us. It felt right. You know, and we can't, I'm not, I wish I could be more articulate than that, but I can't. And we just followed that, that calm throughout the process. Um, And it is, it is quite a a process going through the foster care system. For those who have never been through this system, what, what is the, what is the foster system like? Uh, What were the challenges you faced there uh, getting, getting through that? Was it, was it made more difficult by the fact that uh, your son had Down syndrome? I mean, the the Down syndrome piece initially, just because there was a curiosity about why we wanted to do that. And, you know, we had to be more than articulate than it just feels right. <laughs> like they want their, their bureaucratic systems looking for something more concrete. Foster care worker helped us out by saying, you know, we didn't have other children. <laughs> and we would have a lot of time. But the process is, I mean, we had to get cleared by Homeland Security twice. You have a fire marshal come through your house. You were interviewed and vetted. And then you have references that are interviewed and vetted. You 
talk at length about what your parenting philosophy is. And I think they're not bad things. I mean, I think a lot of parents who are having biological children could benefit from that because you really have to be thoughtful about what is this you're doing. You're taking responsibility for another person. And so as lengthy and as investigative as it is, it certainly makes sense. The classes you take, they're 24 hours long, and unfortunately about 23 hours long are to scare the crap out of you about adopting a kid in the foster system. It's, it is really fierce. <laughs> I have a master's degree in social work, and my background's in strength-based training. And the teaching is not strength-based. I mean, it's really, it's really sort of the worst war stories possible about adopting children from foster care, which we cho- chose to ignore and decided we would make the decision based on the child not how they were being, um, I almost want to say, like, marketed. (laughs) So I think, yeah, I mean, I think we just hung in there. A lot of people leave the class because they're like, I can't do this. And I, it's too bad because I think a lot of people can do it. It's just they get discouraged. Sounds like they're more pushing people away than, than inviting them into the system. You know, one of the things that I, I I understand they're trying to make sure, can you do this? But, yeah, I mean, I think that message, hopefully it's changed. I mean, this was nine years ago, so I'm hoping the message has changed somewhat. But we would hear things like, love isn't enough. I really think, you know, if you're adopting a child to, do, to be a do-gooder, you should probably get out of the parenting business. You know, no one wants to feel like, they're a project and you're their savior. I really think if you, if you love that child, you know, when you love your child, you're going to walk through fire for them. If you're taking someone on because you think it's the right thing to do, I don't, I don't think that probably works very well. Do you think you've come to a different understanding of parenthood through this process? Yeah, I mean, I think you're forced to when you adopt. Like, you really have to think about everything you're doing and what that's, you know, what, why are you doing it um, and what kind of parent you'll be. You know, I don't know if part of it is my age. I became a parent at 49 and we adopted. So, you know, I'm not, I wasn't trying to replicate myself or, or to put unmet needs and either is my husband, who's 14 years younger, so maybe it doesn't have to do with age. But neither one of us were trying to meet any kind of need. We just wanted to be parents. You know, we wanted to raise a child. We wanted to have a family beyond our own. And so I think because our needs were so simple, we might not get bogged down in the same way with other issues. Parents, how's my kid? How's my kid doing in relationship to other people? Is this, you know, I just, we don't think a lot about what's normal or what Thorne should be doing. We just focus more on him as an individual. Talk about your son. I mean, he has Down syndrome. Has uh, been a particular challenge? Or what have you learned about uh, raising a son with Down syndrome and how people either treat or mistreat him? You know, I think Thorne's biggest disability is how people perceive Down syndrome. The idea of neurodiversity, that he is neurologically different from the standard or norm, is like any other diversity. You know, his processing time is longer. So he has the, you know, he has the same desires and interests 
as other children his age, but fulfilling them might take longer or it might not. But how people perceive him and then treat him based on that is really an impediment to him moving forward. People do not assume competence, and it it's hurtful. I mean, he knows when that happens. So how's that challenging for you as a, as a parent uh, dealing with that? Well, I mean, one is raining in my, <laughs> my temper. You know, I talk about my anger a lot in the book, and I swear a lot in my head. I think, you know, nobody wants to see their child underestimated or treated poorly. I've learned to be an advocate who's direct in trying to get people to change their perceptions. And, you know, oftentimes that happens in front of Thorin. And I want him to see that so he knows he can learn to do that. And I think self-advocacy is the next step. So I think, yeah, I mean, we're working towards self-advocacy. And so if he sees his dad and I talking to people in a direct, respectful way saying, well, actually, Thorin can do that, or Thorin doesn't like to be talked to that way, um, like he's a small child, or Thorin doesn't want you to pick him up or hug him because he's 10 years old and we don't really know you. So I think it's a process like anything else. In the book, you also talk about of learning not to use him as an agent of change. Yeah, and, and that was in relation to when we chose to homeschool. You know, there is an extra pressure on parents whose children have disabilities and on the child even more so to change how what the school system lacks in, in terms of including them. And I think if the school plays ball and gets better, it's probably a good idea for your kid to be in school. But our school system never did that. And so Thorne suffered. And, you know, people would say, well, you're letting the school win if Thorne leaves school. And I'm like, well, Thorne's not a social change agent. He doesn't, his responsibility is not to make the school system better for other people when he's being ignored. His job is to learn like everyone else. And so then we embrace the idea of oppositional consciousness, which says you don't have to sacrifice your family in some greater human rights forum. You can focus on the safety of your child. And so that's what we decided to do. What do you think a lot of parents get wrong then about how they raise their child? Or, or what, what do you think we can all learn from, from your experience? You know, what I, and I think about this quite a bit, and I, I think I would have thought about this quite a bit even if my child didn't have Down syndrome. We can either be the facilitators of the individual process, help somebody become who they are authentically meant to be in the world. And any adult knows what I'm talking about past the age of 40, that where you come to those moments where you're like, ugh. I wish I, you know, I wish I could have been this open with myself. I wish I could have pursued those dreams before. And I think we can either do that for our children, allow them to be who they were meant to be, whatever that is, not in relation to anyone else. But we can be dictators, the, child, the process of childhood that says, it's better if everyone's all the same or pretty close to the same. 
um, and that you all have the same dreams. You know, you finish school and then you go to college and then you go to graduate school and you get a good job and you get married and you have this many children. And I think our paths, if we had the freedom, would look different. And that starts when you're a child and what your parents say is okay. Tough to give up uh, ownership mentality in a way, right? Right. But I think we have to, you know, we have to, I think it's more intense now. Like I remember as a child, I didn't know what other people got for grades. I didn't really think about, you know, everyone kind of wore the same things. It was like blue jeans and t-shirts and shorts. And I didn't really know necessarily know who had money and who didn't. And I, I think kids are overly aware of where they stand academically and and class-wise and socially now. And I can't imagine that that pressure that, that to really think that means something. And then to have it reinforced by your parents. Play soccer, not, you know, soccer's better than field hockey. You know, everyone learns how to play the violin. Everyone, to, it's... It, I don't know. I don't know what the end game is. You know, if it's just to be miserable later in life, <laughs> and then figure out what you really wanted to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's coming to a realization of of everyone's an individual. Everyone is, you know, and I think what helps is I'm a really I'm a super late bloomer. You know, I didn't marry my husband until I was like 43 or 44, and I didn't, you know, I didn't become a parent until I was 49, and. I've had several careers, and they've all been really great and exciting and stimulating. But, you know, I'm not a, um, you know, it isn't like I'm setting the world on fire here. <laughs> I'm just, I've really been one of these people that have always followed their own path, and I was okay with being weird. And I think that helps. And I think my husband's that way, too. So we're not going against any code that we had. We were like that as adults. I do have this, you know, this sort of bond where his life is more important than mine. But that being said, how I view our relationship, I try to view it like I would with anyone else. I'm meaning Thorne isn't supposed to know everything. And I'm not supposed to know everything. And we're both going to make mistakes. And that it is a collaborative relationship. We're both in this together. And I include my husband, too, because he feels the same way. That it, it isn't a top-down order. It, it really is a collaboration. And there's a lot of things Thorne feels differently about than I do. And that's, that's good. I can learn from that. So I think, yeah, being, it's a collaborative relationship. Uh, uh, just to close, uh, if, if people want to learn more about you, more about the book, uh, where can they go? Um, you can go to my author website, kariwagnerpeck.com. Um, there's more information on the book, and I'm also a performance storyteller. You can link to my blog through there, Atypical Sun. And if you're interested in getting the book, you know, it's available on Amazon right now. And, and I also tell people if you prefer to go to a local bookseller, Ask them if they'll order it. I know that other people have been really successful with that. Well, again, the, the new book is called Not Always Happy, An Unusual Parenting Journey, and uh, the author is Ms. Kari Wagner-Peck. And Ms. Ms. Wagner-Peck, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, 
I just feel really honored that you'd put me on. I mean, I love, I see who you interview and what you're doing. So I really thank you so much. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.